The researchers, are, they're good folks, um, and they're, they're careful in what they did. But if you go through the numbers, the numbers fit actually with many prior studies. There have been lots of studies going back decades showing that people who avoid meat have lower risk, not just of heart disease, but lower risk specifically of dying of a stroke. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for giving the show a listen this week, a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. And today's show, man, I got to tell you, it is jam-packed. We are talking about an all-star lineup this week. It is perhaps the biggest single show that we have ever had. Because two, count them, one, two of the biggest names in preventative medicine will be stepping into the exam room with me to take on two of the hottest topics in health right now. First, are vegans really more likely to have a stroke than someone who eats meat? Dr. Neil Barnard is going to be here to break down this controversial new study that has been trending big time in the medical world. He has a lot of thoughts on this, some of which might make you think twice before reading too much into the results. And then I'm going to be joined by famed cardiologist, Dr. Robert Osfeld. He will be here to examine the supposed health claims of the Atkins diet. Now you might be asking why the Atkins diet? What's the big deal there? Why are we talking about that now? Well, Maybe you have seen the commercials for it recently. We're going to be talking about it because this once popular diet is trying to make a comeback with a big new wave of marketing. And Dr. Osfeld's message, I must tell you, is pretty straightforward. Simple. Don't get caught up in all the hype. The risks, they're just too great. So we're going to be getting into all of that momentarily, but first, some exciting news to share with you, and that is that the Game Changers documentary, you know the film we've been talking about so much on the show recently? Well, the Game Changers is about to be made available online. It will be released on iTunes October 1st, and it is available for pre-order right now. I just saw this one in theaters last week and had a special one-night-only screening, and I was blown away. And in much the same way that we're going to be doing some myth-busting today with Drs. Barnard and Osfeld, the Game Changers shatters some myths of its own, primarily the myth that athletes need to eat meat in order to compete at the highest levels. In fact, the science that's presented in the film shows that nothing could be further from the truth. It was enough to convince scores of NFL players, NBA players, Olympians, tennis champions, bodybuilders, UFC fighters, and even the strongest man in the world that a plant-based diet can be the optimum diet for performance. So the Game Changers, it comes out October 1st. And oh, by the way, it features our very own Dr. Jim Loomis, who knows this all too well from both sides of the aisle. Not only is he a Ironman triathlete himself, but he is also a former team physician for the St. Louis Cardinals from Major League Baseball, as well as the Rams from the NFL. 
this is a guy who was tasked with keeping these multi-million dollar athletes healthy. And so now he's talking about the benefits of a plant-based diet and the science behind it. So check out the film October 1st. Pre-order it right now on iTunes. But right now, now is time for some science on the exam room. My conversation with Dr. Neil Barnard regarding this controversial study that claims that vegans are at a higher risk of having a stroke than meat eaters. Well, what is the truth there? Is steak really the key to lowering your risk of having one? Let's find out as we revisit this interview that we did recently on Facebook Live. It takes a deep look at this study that has raised more than a few eyebrows. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special Facebook Live edition of the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Sitting across the table from the one and only Dr. Neil Barnard, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be here. Before we get started, and this is going to be a very interesting about half hour that we're going to be talking about this controversial study, Dr. Barnard, that that shows that vegans supposedly are at a higher risk of suffering a stroke than meat eaters. But before we get to that, I must mention a big thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for making this Facebook Live possible. Uh, The fund supports organizations that carry on Greg's passion and his love for animals through rescue efforts and veganism and wildlife conservation. So many cool ways. They have a website. I encourage you to check it out. It's GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Go there. You can learn all about who Greg is, a phenomenal guy. You can also learn about the latest issues surrounding animal welfare and subscribe to their newsletter while you're there. It is a heck of a newsletter, tons of information in there. So check that out. GregoryWriterFund.org is the place to go for that. And let me actually just second that. I, I knew Greg and he was a wonderful person and to be able to memorialize his wonderful life in this way is something I'm honored to be a part of. They've so been such great supporters yes. of the show and, and really they, they are doing tremendous work. I cannot say uh, enough great things about them as well. The topic at hand today, this controversial study, maybe you've heard about it, the, the, the epic Oxford study, I believe it was, showing that vegans are at a higher risk of stroke than meat eaters. I believe it, the researchers concluded that people on a plant-based diet are at a, a 20% higher risk of a stroke. Is, is that accurate? Um, well, f- first of all, I mean, the researchers, are, they're good folks, um, and they're, they're careful in what they did. But if you actually look at the data, it's... it's a, a, a bit the opposite. Um, if we, if you go through the numbers, the the numbers fit actually with many prior studies. There have been lots of studies going back decades showing that people who avoid meat have lower risk, not just of heart disease, but lower risk specifically of dying of a stroke. And including data from this very group uh, of folks, it's it's an English cohort of people who have been studied for many, many years, and they have shown that the mediators among them um, are more likely to die of stroke. Um, so in, if, you look, if you actually crunch through the numbers in the current one, um, not to get too much into the weeds, <laughs> if you don't mind, Chuck, but I've got to just give you Go a ahead. Um, if you are uh, a, not a mediator, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, the risk of having a stroke was 0.00032 
per person per year. Seems pretty low. Very, very low. If you're a meat eater in any given year, your risk was 0.0039. So just a little bit higher for the meat eaters. And for any given year, you wouldn't expect to have a stroke. Um, so the, the risk among meat eaters was a little bit higher. The risk among the vegetarians, a little bit lower. So why, why would it be reported the opposite exactly. Because the groups weren't the same. Um, the mediators were a little low, a uh, little older. They were more likely to be taking medication. They were eating a lot less cheese. The, the vegetarians, I have to say, among them, were eating a lot of cheese. Um, and so the researchers said, "Well, we can't report those statistics, saying that the vegetarians were at lower risk." They said, "We've got to adjust the statistics uh, for the differences in age." And so you make some educated guesses. And I'm not saying that's inappropriate. It's not. Um, you try to make your data somehow fit. So they said, well, the vegetarians are younger. If we age them a little bit more like the meat eater, maybe they'd have a higher risk of stroke. And so after the analysis, then they said, well, in our judgment, the vegetarians might be at actually more risk. Uh, less risk of a heart attack, mm. but more risk of a stroke. But, but the actual numbers were that they were at less risk. So what do we make of it? <laughs> what do we make of it is, is it was, it's probably more related to this particular population than, than um, uh, than actually being at risk. And if you are following a plant-based diet, adding a pork chop will not protect you <laughs> against, <laughs> against a stroke. I would think not. Yeah. Um, but they're talking in this about a, a specific type of stroke as well, correct? That's right. Um, stroke, and just so that everybody's kind of on the same page, stroke means that you've had damage to your brain. Brain cells have died. Uh, and there are two main causes. One is a lack of a blood supply. We call that an ischemic stroke. This will not be on the test. Um, <laughs> but an ischemic stroke means that you're not getting the blood to your brain. Um, a hemorrhagic stroke, that's the one they're talking about here. Much less common than an ischemic stroke, but they, they do happen. And that's caused by bleeding into the brain. Right. So that's the kind they were talking about. They said, you know, our statistics seem to pick out that one as being a little more common. So by and large, um, we're... The, the vegetarians in the group were predictably having much less risk of heart disease and overall not a higher risk of stroke, but they picked out that one particular type. And um, because of the, the statistical adjustments of it, that's the way the, the study came out. Do, do we know what the statistical adjustments were specifically? Did we drill down into that? Like you said they were accounting for medication and lifestyle factors, yeah. age, things like that. Um, I had a an opportunity to be to communicate with the lead author on the paper, and who's a great person. And she said, well, we, we, it was really age more than anything else that they tried to adjust it be, based on how they would guess that the, the vegetarians would age over time. Right. Um, um, so that's the main thing. But you have to adjust for all kinds of stuff because things that, that affect meat eaters contribute to stroke. The biggest co contributor to stroke is high blood pressure. Right. Well, as you know, meat eaters have higher blood pressure. They are much more likely to have hypertension. People on plant-based diets have less risk. Uh, body weight. Um, meat eaters are more likely to be overweight. People on a vegan diet much more likely to be under, uh, not underweight, but a healthy weight. Right. And so they adjust for all of these these things as well. Diabetes. Diabetes is a huge contributor to stroke. Meat eaters are more likely to have diabetes. So you adjust for all of those those differences. Gotcha. All right. Those are all important things. And I, I want to circle back. You mentioned that uh, the, the vegetarians in the study were, were going wild about cheese. And I think that I, I actually saw maybe a video that you had done recently on YouTube where you talked about how much more cheese they were eating than, than meat eaters in the study. Is that just common vegetarians just love cheese? 
Uh, those who haven't read my book. <laughs> <laughs> the Cheese Trap. <laughs> yes. I have tried to discourage people. You know, it, it's a good move when people get away from meat. Right. It really is. It's right. a good move to get away from meat. But there are some people who move away from meat into – you know, Quesaville. So it's <laughs> now we're putting a half inch of yellow asphalt all over our pizza. And and the, the reason that that's a problem is, first of all, cheese has lots and lots and lots of saturated fat. Here we go. That raises your blood cholesterol. That makes it more likely to narrow the arteries to the brain. You don't want that. Um, it also has a lot of cholesterol itself that aids and abets the, the process. But cheese has more sodium than potato chips, ounce per ounce. It's a very high-sodium food. It's, it's when you make cheese to uh, flavor it up and to stop the fermentation from going too far. They add tons of, of salt to it. So sodium, what does it do? Raise your blood pressure. Puts you at risk for stroke. So adding cheese to your diet is not going to help. And in this study, this, the cheese eaters were having 29% more cheese in their diet per person compared to the meat eaters. So don't do that. 29%. That's a lot of cheese. That is an awful lot of cheese. Now, some people go through that phase. But hopefully they come out and say, wait a minute. Let me get away from all that stuff. Sure. And be eating the, the healthful foods. Right. Which are vegetables. Fruits, whole grains, beans, and all those masterpieces that they can become. And didn't researchers also conclude generally with this study that maybe the best practice is just to eat a wide variety of, of foods and that's your best case possible for your diet? Um, a wide variety, yes, is, is a good idea. But the, the, vari- foods, I should the variety yeah. should be plant-based. Yes. Um, you want a variety of vegetables. Vegetables have potassium. Potassium brings blood pressure down. It does the opposite of what sodium does. Mm-hmm. So a variety of vegetables, it's going to help. Uh, you want fruits in your diet. You want beans in your diet and all the other legumes. And you want whole grains. Collectively, they really don't have cholesterol. They have very little saturated fat. So your artery narrowings are less likely to, to be there. And um, as Dean Ornish showed, existing artery narrowings can actually open up again. So Plant-based diets generally high in fiber. I believe that you recommend 40 grams of fiber per day. That's a good goal, and people can get even way beyond that on a plant-based diet if they want. What do people? What What do we know about the link between fiber and the risk of stroke? Has there been studies on that? Well, fiber helps us in lots of ways, and it and largely indirectly, Mm -hmm. it affects the gut microbiome. And your microbiome, that means the bacteria in your digestive tract, they are busily making chemicals that get into the bloodstream and can affect the brain. Um, If you eat more fiber, um, you have a healthier microbiome. If you eat more fiber, you're also more likely to have a lower body weight because fiber helps to satisfy the appetite, but it doesn't have calories. Gotcha. Um, So it helps you slim down. And so it's, it's bringing down the risk factors. Certain kinds of fiber called soluble fiber, Lower cholesterol. You know those Cheerios commercials? I do. Um, oats will lower cholesterol. It's what they're bragging about is the soluble fiber that's in not just Cheerios, but, I mean, all oat products. Right, so. right, right. Uh, before we take some questions from viewers, and by the way, if you have one, go ahead and post it below. We will do our best to get to some of them before uh, the end of the broadcast. Uh, I just want to kind of put a capper on on the study. Uh, when you were speaking with the lead author, you know this this study is it ongoing? Or are we going to see more 
data out of this? Or are you expecting that we're going to see offshoot studies that continue to examine the link here? Um, the study is ongoing, yes, and we'll have more data coming out. They've been reporting for a long, 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 long time. I mean, th- these are the same people who did report that you're, if, you're, uh, planning, if you're following a plant-based diet, you are less likely to die of a stroke. So they reported this. Yes, they did. Wow. Um, okay. Yes, years ago. So, so they're, 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 they're adjusting the data as it goes along. And so they're honest researchers. They're good researchers. And by the way, Tim Key, who is one of the senior researchers with this team, heard him present not too long ago. And during his presentation, he said, by the way, lest there be any, any doubt, I am a vegan. Oh, um, wow. So the, these, these folks are, are, are reporting the data as they see it. Gotcha. All right. Well, th- I think that that's that's definitely uh, good to know. Um, and and here's here's something that I was wondering personally, right? Because they have been tracking, I think, what forty eight thousand people for something like two decades now. This is a massive study. Mm-hmm. By and large, how would you say that the vegan diet or the plant based diet has evolved over those two decades? Like. <laughs> Is that even a factor here? Do you? Yeah, think? It, it's a great question, Chuck. You know, so if you start out in the 1990s mm-hmm. and you're studying people who are following a plant-based diet compared to what they're eating nowadays, yeah, the, the first thing is, frankly, there weren't so many people following vegan diets at that time. If people gave up meat, it was pretty much an ovo-lacto pattern. Right. Um, and in fact, Dr. Key gave. I remember him giving a presentation years ago where he was trying to talk about the reduction in mortality in vegans, but he said. It's hard to do this work because just vegans aren't dying. You know, <laughs> we, we just don't have enough dead vegans yet. Um, so um, now, now that there are more and more vegans, they'll, they'll, be, follow, they'll be followed over the long run and we'll be able to see um, how they do over the longer term. But, but food itself has changed. And i got to say, Chuck, I think diets are changing in two different ways. One is it's easier than ever to follow a plant-based diet mm-hmm. because products are out there. And there are great products now. You can get organic produce at your regular grocery store. Yes. It doesn't have to be the, a fancy store. Um, the foods are very widespread. However, there's also more and more um, products that are not so healthy mm-hmm. where they're putting a lot of saturated fat like coconut fat, palm oil into these foods. And I think that's really not a healthy way to go. Um, but the bottom line is it's super easy to be a healthy plant-based eater. Yeah, there still is that, that uh, kind of uh – belief out there that that coconut oil is is the healthy oil of choice and you and i have talked about this on the show not necessarily uh accurate statements it's great for waxing your car <laughs> is it is it it might be a little bit cheaper than turtle wax too you know um put it in, put it in your hair put it on your shoes don't eat it <laughs> put it in your hair yes this is definitely <laughs> coconut oil uh all right first question comes from uh, rosita uh she writes i've been eating a whole food plant-based diet for about six and a half years my blood pressure though continues to be high what advice can you give her for preventing a stroke okay well first of all it's great that you've switched to a plant-based diet stick with it um if a person follows a plant-based diet typically blood pressure does drop. Our research team did a a meta-analysis back in, I think it was 2014, where we showed that the data are very consistent, Mm -hmm. that people following plant-based diets have lower blood pressure. Um, However, that's not all you want to do. We want to follow as healthy a vegan diet as we can. That means get away from from the fattier foods because that facilitates weight. Uh, If you get away from fatty foods, weight loss is better. And the questioner didn't say whether weight was an issue or not. But if it is, getting away from extra weight helps bring blood pressure down too. Um, Sodium is an issue. Now, here's the beauty of plant foods. In nature, they have almost no sodium 
at all. Very, very little. Wow. So the reason that there's sodium in green bean, a can of green beans is because they dumped it in in the factory. Um, but in nature, these foods are high in potassium. So potassium brings your blood pressure down. So if you're choosing foods, choose the ones that are low in added sodium. Jill, kind of piggybacking right on that, she writes in, what numbers for high blood pressure are considered high risk for a stroke? Well, it's, it, it's just sort of a straight line. If, if your blood pressure is 120 over 80, good healthy blood pressure, but if you go up bit by bit by bit, your risk is going to gradually increase um, because the high blood pressure, think of it as too much just force in the fire hose, and that's accelerating the damage to the arteries. They can accelerate the narrowings that they have. And also, it, that increases the likelihood that a blood vessel will break. So you want, generally, to keep that pressure down. Right. Um, one other thing that should be added, apart from food, is lacing up your sneakers. Mm-hmm. Because when people are physically active, it brings their blood pressure down, and it causes their arteries to be healthier, and it reduces your risk of stroke. Christine, could you quote any studies that specifically link meat and dairy consumption to having a higher incidence of stroke, particularly among women? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, fact, uh, I think it's on our website, pcrm.org, where we talk about the study in particular. You're going to see one of the studies. The first author is Yang, Y-A-N-G, from 2016, if I remember, yes, correctly. And you'll see it on our, on our website. We talk about it in my commentary on this. And it does specifically go into the more meat you eat, the higher your risk of stroke. I love the fact that you come armed with data like that. That is impressive. I thought you might ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, follow up here from Manda. Can you? By the com- way, this is not the only study. I mean, other studies have shown it as well. Right. And they're referenced there as well. Uh, check that follow up from Claudine I've been vegan for six years another long time plant based eater vegan for six years and my cholesterol is still high don't understand why okay um, the, here's the thing to do if you if you have had a high cholesterol regardless of diet start now no animal products at all for two or three months no animal products don't cheat but also keep oils very very low to a minimum because Uh, There is saturated fat, a lot of saturated fat in animal products. That's what raises cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Uh, In olive oil, for for comparison, let me give you the numbers. Beef fat is about 50% saturated fat. The other 50% is various other kinds of fat. Chicken fat, about 30% saturated fat. So if I switch to olive oil, it's about 14%. So that's better, but it's not zero. Mm. So keep oils really low too. And after about three months, get your cholesterol checked. And for 90% of people, it drops like a stone. For maybe 1 in 10 people, it stays high, and that's genetics. And so at that point, you're going to have a conversation with your doctor about whether you want to consider a statin or not. And there are arguments on both sides. Uh, And I think that this is actually a a good time to mention that uh, upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center, we are recruiting uh, for a cholesterol-related study, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So you can find that information. If you're interested, head over to pcrm.org as well and seek that out. Um, I know that that's very interesting. I'm very much looking forward to the data that will be coming out of that. Manda, kind of a change of topic here, but as long as you're here, why not just ask it? Can you comment on the keto fat? I'm concerned about my friend's health. You should be concerned. I have to say, um, <laughs> you know, there are... Ketogenic diets are, are uh, they come and go. It started with Atkins and then kind of died out, came back as South Beach, died out, came back as ketogenic diets. This too will pass. Um, 
when people eliminate carbohydrates, carbohydrates are about half of what you eat. So mm-hmm. if you're not eating any fruit or any beans or any starchy vegetables and you don't make up a, for it with something else, you're going to lose weight. Hmm. Um, and that gets exciting for people. And also because your body is starving for sugar, your body uses up all of its stored glycogen. Yeah. Glycogen is what um, marathon runners rely on. That, that's why they're carbo-loading before the race. But all that glycogen is gone hmm. and from your muscles and from your liver. And uh, glycogen holds a little bit of water. So on the scale, you think you're losing fat, but what you've just lost is all your glycogen Uh-oh. and the water it held. Uh-oh. Um, so so it's, that looks exciting to a person who suddenly lost seven pounds. The, the, the negative about it, and it's a serious negative, is that if you're not eating all these healthy plant foods and you're suddenly eating meat, your cholesterol may go up. Mm. Now, normally when people lose weight, no matter how they do it, their cholesterols fall. But in maybe one in three ketogenic dieters or more, their cholesterols will rise sometimes 10%, 15%, 20%. And we had a man who, whose case we reported, he went on this diet he just wanted to lose four or five pounds. He, he was not heavy. Right. Um, but it was a big fad. He went on this. He had, as fate would have it, he had had a heart scan before going on the diet. His scan was clear. Mm-hmm. Went on the diet, lost his weight. Uh, he thought, wow, you know, this is great. His cholesterol went up. But he believed this nonsense that a high cholesterol diet can't hurt you, a high cholesterol level can't hurt you if it's low carb, if you're on a low carb diet. Huh. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, walking down the street one day, an elephant sat on his chest. Oh no. He had a heart. Yes, he had he had severe heart disease, um, as many of these people do. Hmm. So the ketogenic diet is a mistake. Um, it's I call it a faith based diet, meaning you have faith that science is wrong. Uh, science shows that a meat based diet increases the risk of heart disease, as it seems to with this. It increases the risk of colorectal cancer. It increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. Don't go there. Yeah. Um, I, and, and by the by, the, the keto diet topics that we've covered on the exam room podcast, those have been some of the most downloaded episodes. I've had Lee Crosby on talking about that. I've had Dr. Kaliova on talking about that. Both brilliant, brilliant, uh, people here within the physicians committee, uh, and, and what they brought to the table, just going into the, the potential side effects of the keto diet are, are just extraordinary. So I would encourage you right now, I know you're watching this on Facebook, but if you head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever it is that you get shows from, look for the exam room podcast by the Physicians Committee. Go ahead and subscribe, and if you'd be kind, leave a five-star rating. While you're doing that, go ahead and also dig up those keto diet episodes, and you will be fascinated. And also... I should say, look at the cheese trap episode that you and I did last Thank year, you. which is just mind-blowing. Uh, final question from the gallery, um, and this one is from a woman named Christine as well. She writes, how does a vegan low-fat diet affect C-reactive protein and stroke risk? How long does it take to heal? One year, two years? Okay, great question. Uh, complicated topic, but let me just make it simple. Um, C-reactive protein, or CRP, is a sign of inflammation. And inflammation is a big word, but all it means is, let's say you're stung by a bee. Mm -hmm. And when you're stung by a bee, your body recognizes that foreign foreign proteins have been injected in you, and your body tries to react. So it sends blood supply into that area. It opens the blood vessels. So your thumb suddenly starts looking red. And fluid weeps out of the bloodstream into the tissues to carry antibodies to destroy uh, whatever toxins have been injected. And so it's swelling up. 
That's mm-hmm. inflammation. So you're, all the cells of your body have this capacity to fight infection, and they do it through these mechanisms. Here's the problem. For some people, they're eating foods that trigger low-grade infection in a lot of their cells all over their body. So they have compounds that are trying to – that are creating inflammation all over their body. And you can measure them in a blood test called CRP or C-reactive protein. So if you're on a plant-based diet, what are you doing? You're not eating dairy products. You're not eating meat. So these allergenic or these uh, sensitizing proteins aren't there anymore. And so CRP goes down. Oh. So you know, we've uh, looked at this ourselves uh, in people where, who have a lot of inflammation, people with rheumatoid arthritis, for example. And very rapidly, mm-hmm. um, the CRP levels come way, way down. Gotcha. So a plant-based diet is a really good thing for people with high CRP levels. I love the fact that we have viewers and listeners who are just so into nutrition that they would ask a question like that. That just blows my mind. Yep. I love that. I love that about this show. I love that about this organization. It's so much fun. Uh, Dr. Neil Barnard, I know that you have to run. I know that your time is precious. So thank you very much for your time today, shedding some new light on this study. Uh, I thought that it was very enlightening. It seems like there were a couple things that were overlooked before a lot of people went to the press with this. Well, the main, th- main thing is adding some to your diet is not going to make you healthier. Uh, plant-based diet still the way to go. All right. This has been the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll and, of course, Dr. Neil Barnard. Some really, really interesting information there, huh? You can watch the full interview on Dr. Barnard's Facebook page. And really, even though that you just listened to it, it's worth watching if for no other reason that you can just see all of the research that Dr. Barnard brought with him. Always so impressive how he comes armed with the facts, you know? I was also really impressed at how he was able to speak with the authors of the study and was able to share some of that conversation with us. And I'll tell you why. It's because it is so easy for us to get up in arms about certain things, especially, especially when we don't agree with them. But it was nice to hear him explain how and why researchers adjusted the data the way that they did to reach the conclusion that they did. It's that little bit of insight that is so important to gain the whole story instead of just bits and pieces of information. Super, super important. So I also encourage you to read a blog that he published about this study that goes even deeper than our conversation. And you can find that on PCRM.org. And I'll also tweet out a link to it from my account at Chuck Carroll WLC. And if you haven't already done so, please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast because doing that improves our rankings. And the higher we climb in those rankings, the more people will hear this type of science and the inspiration just like what Dr. Barnard and I were discussing. Your five-star rating goes a long way to providing hope for someone who has been struggling with their health, the hope that they can turn things around. And it also helps to dispel so many myths that are out there about nutrition. So pick up your phone right now and give us a five-star rating and you can help make all of that happen.
Before we bring on Dr. Robert Osfeld and shift our attention to the resurgence of the Atkins diet, I wanted to let you know that our conversation on the exam room is brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. This incredible fund supports organizations that carry on Greg's passion and the love that he had for animals through rescue efforts and veganism and wildlife conservation. I encourage you to please visit GregoryWriterFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org and learn more about Greg's story. Find out who he was. And while you're there, you can also learn about the latest issues surrounding animal welfare and you can subscribe to the fund's newsletter. You can find a link to their website right now in the show notes for this episode. The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. I'm so excited to welcome back to the program Dr. Robert Osfeld. He is the Director of Preventative Cardiology at Montefiore Health System up in New York. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You know, it has been four months since you and I talked, and when your episode dropped, I got to tell you, it was among our most downloaded ever. And so thank you very much for coming back because we're hoping to see that spike a second time. Oh, well, thank you. Very <laughs> and thank you for all the work that you guys are doing to help spread this incredibly important message. It's phenomenal. Well, appreciate that, my man. I wanted to talk to you today when I was up in your neck of the woods in New York. We talked a little bit about the keto diet. And in that time, that four months that's elapsed, we've seen kind of a resurgence of the Atkins diet. We're starting to see more promotion of that out there. And I'm curious, you had some pretty strong opinions about the keto diet when we spoke. How do you feel as a cardiologist with the Atkins diet? As a cardiologist, I think that the Atkins diet is a mistake. The, and interestingly, uh, Dr. Shivam Joshi, Dr. Michelle McMacken and I, we, we wrote a viewpoint in JAMA Internal Medicine that just came out last week all about the ketogenic diet, how, in, in our opinion, that enthusiasm outpaces the evidence. So I would refer um, a number of, of listeners to that article where there, we discuss things in more detail. When I think about an Atkins-style diet, I put it in the same general category as a ketogenic diet, but is heavily animal protein based, mm -hmm. which to me is a, a big mistake when it comes to heart and blood vessel disease. And we can dive into that a little bit. But one thing that just came to mind is uh, I'm working on a review article about erectile function. Okay. And there's a very interesting cross-sectional analysis of about 1,500 people from Canada where every, ser every serving of fruit and vegetables per day increase is associated with about a 10% lower odds of having erectile dysfunction. There's a variety of mechanistic reasons why consuming more plant-based foods is healthful for erectile function and why consuming more animal-based foods would not be. And there are randomized trials that eating more toward a Mediterranean-style diet, high in fruits, vegetables, legumes, um, non-saturated fats can improve erectile function. So there's growing evidence out there in an area that I suspect is of interest to a lot of people. <laughs> I would assume so. And with the Atkins-style diet, I look at that as a more an animal protein-based ketogenic diet, very low in carbohydrates, mm -hmm. uh, high in um, animal protein, animal fat. Um, and it's important when we talk about carbohydrates 
to uh, be clear what we mean. Now, that's a really broad category. Right. And you could eat sugar cookies all day and be having carbs, or you could eat kale all day. They're both carbs. Um, and, of course, the devil's in the details. Eating the more, more healthful carbs, beans, lentils, fruits, vegetables, is quite good. Uh, eating unhealthful carbs, uh, processed foods, sugar cookies, that's not helpful. So it's important that we kind of have that line in the sand, if you will. And Dr. Satija did a wonderful article. I think it was, in, I think, 2016 in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology looking at exactly that issue, and she highlighted that incredibly well. So when you eat more animal-based protein, uh, it, that can promote inflammation, raise cholesterol levels, raise trimethylamine oxide levels, as well as, well as a variety of other deleterious things mechanistically that can promote cardiovascular disease. And I want to dive into maybe a couple, if I could. By all means. So there's, an, there's an, a, quote, new one on the block, if you will. All right. uh, it's been around, of course, for eons, and we're just getting around to discovering <laughs> it. But there's this siacilic acid called NU5GC. NU5GC, and that lives on the cell membranes of non-human primates. Not on our cells, but on non-human primates, it lives on their cells. Right. Okay, who cares? Well, if you eat, the hypothesis is that if you eat non-human primates, you also eat the NU5GC. And it turns out it seems like it gets uh, taken up into, into uh, the cell membranes of those without NU5GC. And, and the, the body then sees that as something foreign, All right. which it doesn't like, and it attacks it. Right, right, and that promotes inflammation, which can, which may, which may promote diabetes and heart disease. And there are animal models that show exactly that. That animal models um, without new five GC, when they eat new five GC, it promotes inflammation, it promotes cancer, it promotes heart disease. Um, uh, Dr. Gortz, Dr. Philip Gortz, uh, out of UCSD, has done um, a lot of this work, and he has a, a large team um, with him. So, and that's in, you know, red meats. And, the, you know, because even if we get cholesterol levels low and we can get inflammation low, there is residual risk. Those things matter. Cholesterol matters a lot, particularly LDL for cholesterol. Sure. Inflammation matters a lot. But it doesn't account for everything. There's still residual risk. And this new 5GC may be an important part of that residual risk. And actually, when I step back, I kind of think about nutrition as a symphony. And when you sit there and listen to it, it sounds great, but there's so many parts and it's so hard to tease them all out. And it's the same thing with nutrition. Like we know that, that, you know, uh, eating more animal products can promote inflammation and, um, you know, fewer fruits and vegetables is not healthy. We know some of the parts, but we don't know the whole picture. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the new 5GC is one of the parts. And so when you look at populations that live a long time, like in the, like in the blue zones, they're the symphony. They right. represent living more healthily. What are common themes? They exercise, they uh, have so, uh, social interaction, and they eat predominantly a plant-based diet, lots of beans, fewer animal products. They're the symphony. And we're sort of piecing together what helps to create that symphony, a new 5GC is an important part of it. So that's a new kid on the block about why eating red meat may not be um, healthful. 
Um, another important one, of course, is the microbiome, which isn't so much the new kid on the block. That is anymore. one of my favorite topics. It oh. fascinates me to no end. So you just go ahead and take the stage. I'm going to sit back and listen. All right. Well, awesome. I appreciate it. So with the microbiome, it's just amazing. I mean, there's like a hundred trillion of them in each one of us. So like we're, we're the parasites, you know, not <laughs> them. Uh, and so it impacts health in so many ways. There's an important article that recently came out that the more toward plant-based nutrition you eat by the Alternative Healthy Eating Index, the more healthful your microbiome is. Now, those 100 trillion gut bacteria interact with us in a lot of ways that can be health-promoting mm -hmm. or not health-promoting. Mm -hmm. And what you eat impacts their ability to help our health or not and impacts their population. The more in that article, the more toward a plant-based diet you eat, the healthier also the population. So it selects for a healthier population of the hundred trillion, which enables them to help interact with us in more healthful ways. Um, and a very interesting new study came out about the paleo diet, which is, you know, not all, there's, there's a lot of Venn diagrams overlap a lot. They do have some healthful foods, but they do eat a good bit of animal products right, too. Right. They had higher trimethylamine oxide levels. And trimethylamine oxide is a product in part of the microbiome that promotes inflammation, diabetes, heart disease. We want lower levels of that. So when you eat more plant-based foods, high in fiber, you select for a healthier gut microbiome and you feed them healthier foods. Who cares? Well, when the gut microbiome is fed well, they can make things called, for example, short-chain fatty acids. One of them is butyrate. Right. Butyrate then goes into this, the cell lining of the colon and it is anti-inflammatory. It reduces cholesterol synthesis by those cells, it can conceivably lower cholesterol levels. Right, right. And it helps the, those cells lining the colon make a little bit more mucus because, and that keeps the microbiome just a little bit away from the cell because you don't want them to touch. Because when they touch, they, the body sees it as foreign, just the same kind of thing as new 5GC and attacks it appropriately. Right, right. right. But when you eat more plants, you have more butyrate, uh, more of a mucus lining, and you don't have that attack. And then that butyrate gets into our body and it goes to our brain and is associated. There's some reports hypothesizing it can improve depression. Um, the gut-brain index. There are animal models that suggest it may reduce atherosclerosis, those short-chain fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the gut microbiome is sort of not quite the new kid on the block anymore, but it is such a treasure trove of unexplored area. It's just the great new horizon. And every time you turn the corner, it seems like there's another fascinating aspect of it that appears to be healthfully promoted by eating more plant-based nutrition. You know, you should sit in on the presentation since we are at the uh, International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, the first day of it uh, as we record this. Uh, I believe tomorrow or maybe Saturday, Dr. Lee Frame is doing a presentation on the gut microbiome research, where it's been, where we are now, and where it's going. And I had her on the show not too terribly long ago, and she was explaining to me just how much more we've come to understand about the gut microbiome because of the research we've been doing, not on the microbiome, but on DNA. 
and the parallels there. And it's just, I don't want to call it happenstance that we're discovering so much about the microbiome because of the DNA research, but it's certainly, there's a lot of parallels there. And there are far more microbiome than there is uh, DNA. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's not even close. So it is fascinating to me where this is going. Like this could be the key the big key that, that a lot of us have been missing for so terribly long. I want to go back to something that we were talking about in the beginning with the Atkins and the erectile dysfunction. When I was still overweight, when I was still 420 pounds, I saw the Atkins diet as this, oh my God, I can eat all the bacon I want and finally lose weight. Like it was this as if angels were singing on high and this was the diet of all diets for me, right? I never thought about any of the things that you just brought up. I don't think that the average person does. I think that the average person thinks, well, if I lose weight, automatically I'm going to be healthy. But as a cardiologist, you can attest that is not the case. That's true. Cholera can help you lose weight as well. <laughs> and nobody wants to lose weight that way. But that's, those are great points. And let's take, a, let's take an example, uh, like, like you're talking about the bacon. Um, so, okay, first of all, as, as you well know, the World Health Organization has come out and called processed meats like bacon a class one carcinogen, yep. meaning it causes cancer. That's the same category as smoking and plutonium, mm -hmm. class one carcinogen. Uh, there is a fascinating uh, epidemiologic study done by Dr. Song, published in, I believe, JAMA Internal Medicine, where they asked if you replace just 3%, just 3% of your calories from animal protein with 3% of calories from plant-based protein, is it helpful? Is it not helpful? Turns out it's helpful. Wow. And there were so many people in that study, I forget about 140,000, I forget the exact number. It's a pretty good sample size. Yeah, so they were able to break it down by type of meat product or animal product as well. And so unprocessed, or excuse me, processed meat like bacon if you replace just 3% of your calories from processed meats with 3% of calories from plant-based protein, that's associated with about a 34% lower hazard of death. Wow. Of death. And that bacon is in that category. And that's just 3%. Um, what, so, and then other, same, unprocessed red meat was about 12%. Significant poultry was about 6 or 7%. Significant eggs were about 19%. That was significant. Dairy was about, um, I think, 6%, which was significant. Um, so, okay, that's pretty fascinating. Now, red meat has heme iron. Mm -hmm. Plants have a, a different form of iron. Uh, red meat has heme iron. Heme iron is very pro-inflammatory. So like, why are these processed meats so bad? So of course, there's the new 5GC issue. There's the microbiome issue. There is heme iron. Heme iron is uh, very pro-inflammatory, associated with more prostate cancer, more diabetes. Um, so that could be another reason why it's, uh, it's not helpful. Um, uh, of course, eating animal products can um, raise cholesterol levels, although different people have it raised uh, differing amounts. Sure. Um, so there are a variety of mechanistic reasons uh, behind why eating these kinds of products are not helpful. And of course, there's adva excuse me, advanced glycation end products. How can I forget? Um, they're in animal products, and when you cook them, particularly with processed meats, they really ramp up, and those promote inflammation and diabetes. And so when you start to sort of peel back the uh, Wizard of Oz stuff, you see there are multiple different 
mechanistic reasons why these uh, products are not helpful. And then on the flip side, um, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, whole grains, of course, not the sugar cookie, but whole grains, are among the healthiest foods in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's – the, the whole carb thing. Not all carbs are created equal. You know what I mean? That should be a T-shirt. That should be a bumper sticker, right? Yeah, seriously. Um, I know that our, our time is limited, but I can't let you go without asking this. This is a, something that I think needs to be discussed more even, um, and that is we talk a lot about preventing a heart attack in the first place. But what advantages does a plant-based diet offer somebody who's already suffered a heart attack? Is that something that they should still be looking to, or is the damage already done and so be it at that point? Great question. Um, and they should definitely be looking to it. There's a wonderful study by Dr. Lee, um, a large epidemiologic study that showed that the more animal-based someone goes in their diet after a heart attack, the worse they do. Mm -hmm. um, and for all the reasons that eating more plant-based foods can reduce the risk of having a, of a heart attack. It's the same thing after one as well. And you could say that the stakes, <laughs> stakes if you will, are even higher uh, because you've already had a cardiac event and you don't want to have to try and survive a second one because your body's already taken a significant hit. Um, so I encourage all, basically all of my patients after uh, an event like that to adopt a uh, plant-based diet. And that would be very close to consistent with um, the American College of Cardiology prevention guidelines. Now they do, they are supportive of some, of some fish, but lots of vegetables, lots of fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, there's tons of overlap. So it's very consistent with what the American College of Cardiology recommends. So we encourage it uh, for all patients and the various mechanistic reasons we touched on before apply here as well. And epidemiologic studies support it um, as well. So it's wonderful that there's PCRM and other organizations that can help people adopt this kind of lifestyle. And it's one of the reasons why I'm really excited that we have plant-based meals for inpatients at Montefiore. Yeah. So in that, you know, teachable moment, you know, you've had a, some kind of medical event, you've had a heart attack, you're rightfully scared. Um, that's a wonderful opportunity for us to teach people about healthier ways um, to eat. And so uh, with our inpatient meals, we can do that. And, of course, we have forks over knives playing on continuous loop on one of the channels on the inpatient TV so we can have patients watch that as well. I think that that's, that's key because I think that somebody who has not really been focused on nutrition their entire life and unfortunately has a heart attack, they may still think that, hey, well, I had a heart attack because I'm overweight. Let me go on Atkins. Let me try the keto diet. Let me go that route to get that weight off. And as I said, they have the impression perhaps that that will be the cure-all for what ails them and they will be good to go moving forward. Again, not the case. As a cardiologist, you're saying that's, that's just a horrible idea. Yeah, I, I think it is a mistake to consume an Atkins-style diet both before and after a heart attack. All right. Well, now, let's see here. What people don't know about you, most people, is something that you shared with me just before we started taping, and that is this man is multi-talented, okay? You were in an a cappella group in, in college, is this true? Uh, yeah. I oh. was in an acapella group in college. Now, I might push back a little bit at multi-talented or even single-talented, uh -huh. but I was in an acapella group uh, in college. It was 
uh, called the Penny Loafers at the <laughs> University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. But basically, my part was like, you know, bum, bum, bum. Bum. That was basically my part. <laughs> and look, man, you're doing the bass, right? I mean, that was your part, right? Yeah, you got yeah. that deep James Earl Jones-style voice. Well, that's extremely generous of you. Probably the first time in my life I've ever heard that, but thank you. It's, yeah. uh, I'll take it. Of course, of course. So no falsetto from you then? No, you don't want to hear my falsetto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Robert Osfeld. Oh, uh, you have a big conference coming up November 2nd. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, thank you. We're really excited about it. It's at Montefiore. This is our third year. It's about... Prevent, prevention of cardiovascular disease, um, and it is primarily plant-based. There are continuing, continuing medical education credits. The food at the conference is wholly plant-based. Um, Dr. Barnard has spoken in the past. Dr. Walter Willett from the Harvard School of Public Health will be our keynote speaker this year. Dr. Essenston will be there, Dr. Bellardo, Dr. McMacken, many others. We're very excited about it, and if people want to come, I really hope they do, uh, the website to register is www.mecme.org, mecme.org, and you just look for the November 2nd one. It won't be hard to find, and it'll take you to the registration page. Me, CME. Uh, that's, that's easy to remember. Yeah. Me, CME. Yeah, yeah. I got Good it. Call. November 2nd. I like that. So uh, everybody definitely go and, and register. I assume that that's geared more toward physicians because of the continuing education credit. Well, every, everyone is welcome. Okay. Um, and so we keep in mind that the audience is going to be medical people um, and also general public as well. It's actually more general public oh, wow. uh, than medical. So it's it's for everybody. Cool. Good deals. All right. Well, we appreciate you being at this conference. We're very much now looking forward to November 2nd. And thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wit, your wisdom, and your your dulcet tones here on The Exam Room. Dr. Robert Osfeld, thank you, sir. Thank you. Wild that Dr. Osfeld was in an acapella group, right? I'm begging him. I'm begging him to get another group together, a plant-based group of singers together, and go on America's Got Talent or something like that and call the group the heartbeats but that's beats spelled b-e-e-t-s sing a tune for the cause doc and you can find a link to register for the montefiore einstein preventative cardiology conference featuring dr osfeld in the show notes right now for this episode he's such an inspiration for so many in the medical community getting physicians to take a new look at how they approach treating patients for him, it's all about prevention and treating the root cause and not just managing symptoms. It's about having breakthroughs with the patients themselves. Dr. Osfeld, by the way, also a must follow on social media. He's on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Ostfeld. And while you're in the following mood, the Physicians Committee is at PCRM on Twitter and at Physicians Committee spelled out on IG. And I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC. That's Carroll with two R's and two L's, the WLC standing for weight loss champion at Chuck Carroll, WLC on both Twitter and the gram. And here 
is some more exciting news for you, especially if you are in the Virginia Beach area. We will be doing a live taping of the Exam Room podcast at the delicious Fruitive store there on Wednesday night, October 9th. And Fruitive, if you're not familiar with this place, it is extraordinary. It is a 100% plant-based and mission-driven chain of restaurants. I will be there with the founder and CEO, Greg Roseboom. And the cool thing here is that there aren't a whole lot of plant-based options in that area. So Greg took it upon himself to make the community a healthier place. And now they have three locations in that area and two more in Washington, D.C., And it's not hard to imagine why either, since their menu is ridiculously good. I mean, there ought to be a law. They have a PB and no J superberry bowl, for goodness sakes, right? And then there's the sesame ginger collard taco, the hail to the kale salad, spicy red pepper panini with roasted red peppers. Get this, roasted red peppers, smoked mushrooms, spinach, red pepper jalapeno sauce, and cashew cheese. Well, talk about good eats, my friend. We would love to see you there. Fruitive in Virginia Beach, Wednesday night, October 9th. Going to be some good eats, and we're all going to be getting healthy and getting inspired together. So check them out online at fruitive.com and RSVP. We would love to see you there. Taking a look ahead now, next week we'll be kicking off our month-long series on breast cancer, looking at the crucial link between diet and the disease, and how just by altering the way that we eat, the risk of developing breast cancer drops dramatically, even for women whose families have been stricken with it time and time and time again, where that genetic component is seemingly so strong. Let's beat breast cancer. That is the name of our initiative here at the Physicians Committee. And every week we will be diving into the four ways that you can help beat it. Those four ways. Eating a plant-based diet. Maintaining a healthy weight. Limiting alcohol consumption. And exercising. It never ceases to amaze me how much good can come from just getting up off of the couch. Esteemed breast cancer surgeon, Dr. Christy Funk, she will be here next week to kick everything off with a message of hope and inspiration. Only 5 to 10% of all breast cancer on planet Earth is because of a gene mutation that you inherit. When there's just maybe even your mother and then a second cousin or so, you know, not that much breast cancer going on, we have to remember what else we inherit from families, and that's grandma's roast beef recipe and the apple strudel and the idea that the ideal vacation is to fly somewhere and sit in the hotel and watch movies nonstop, right? Like what else did you inherit that could be working against your ultimate health? Because if you look at all breast cancer patients diagnosed today, 87% of them do not have a single first degree relative with breast cancer. And 80% of them don't have any relatives with breast cancer, okay? Yeah, the odds that it's genetic are very low. So the converse stat should tell you something mind-blowing. And that is that, okay, 5 to 10% is an inherited mutation. I'm going to give 5, maybe even 10% 
just crazy bad luck. Like we don't understand it. You're only 32 and you don't have a gene mutation and you have breast cancer and you haven't lived long, badly long enough for genetic mutations to accumulate inside of you, right? DNA problems. So we've got these extremes, but we have a bell curve, a very wide, fat bell curve of 80, maybe even 90% of all breast cancer on planet Earth that is from what? And I'll tell you what, exactly what. It's from our daily choices, every single choice we make, particularly every time we lift fork to mouth and chew and swallow, these choices are moving us closer to cancer or farther away. Closer not only to cancer, but all of life's major killers. So heart disease, stroke, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, every organ cancer. Diet and nutrition, alcohol, exercise, obesity, hormone replacement therapy, emotional stress, environmental toxicities. For a greater rather than lesser degree, all of these things are under our control. If we focus on them and choose wisely, we can drastically limit the chances of ever dying from a disease that ultimately I believe we can control. If you haven't already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to The Exam Room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your favorite shows. That way you can be among the first to hear this episode with Dr. Funk when it comes out. And as a reminder, this episode of The Exam Room is being brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. This incredible fund, I cannot say enough good things about it. This fund, it supports organizations that carry on Greg's passion and the deep love that he had for animals through rescue efforts and veganism and wildlife conservation. You heard what Dr. Barnard said about Greg Ryder earlier in the show and the kind of guy that he was. So this fund, the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, is his legacy. And I encourage you right now to please visit GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org, where you can learn more about his story and also about the latest on animal welfare and those issues. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to their newsletter. And you can find a link to their website right now in the show notes for this episode. That is all the time that we have. My thanks again to Dr. Neil Barnard and the crooning cardiologist, Dr. Robert Osfeld. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based.